This episode is sponsored by Furniture Box. Check them out in the description below. Guys, welcome to the ground floor of the podcast where we are successful people exactly how they did it. Our guest today is very relaxed at the moment. We've got... <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> We've got Alex Rico Lloyd, the founder of The Bike Club, which is a monthly kids bike subscription service. Now, I don't want to make you even more uncomfortable because she was a little bit nervous before the interview, but you have quite an impressive list of accolades here. So I'm going to have to just read them because there were so many that I couldn't memorize them. So you've been named on the Forbes 30 If you under could just look 30. directly into the camera now, yeah. well, that would be fantastic as we do it. <laughs> About 60 centimeters Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Alex has been named on the Forbes 30 under 30 Europe list for retail and e-commerce. She's one of the top 100 women in cycling by Cycling UK. She's a top 50 female founders to watch by Bohurst, and she's also a female leader and game changer by women in fintech. That is a pretty impressive it's list pretty of accolades. Yeah. Thanks very much. No worries. Thank you for being here in this very relaxed environment. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice and sunny outside. Not that you can tell in this dark, dark room. Dark, well lit room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's dark, a cell for the dark. Podcast. If ever we yeah. needed it, we'll clip that up. Dark, straight very away. expensively yeah. lit yeah. room. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, look, people that might not know you or might not know Bike Club, can you give a little summary of what what, what the Bike Club is and um, and how you got started with it? Yeah, so as you said, the Bike Club does subscription kids' bikes, which you exchange as they grow. Um, so for a parent, it's quite expensive to go out there and buy a kids' bike. I'm not sure if you have kids, but it's about like three to five hundred pounds a bike um, to start out with. And that's quite like a big outlay, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you've got multiple children. And so instead of going out, buying a bike, letting it rust in the garage, um, you can subscribe to Bike Club. We will send you a bike for between five and 15 pounds a month. And then when they grow out of it, we simply send you a new one and take back the old one. Now, from our perspective, we then have a whole team of mechanics who refurbish yeah. it completely and get it out to a new family. Um, so that's Bike Club. That's what we do. Um, in terms of how... I got into it or what I was doing before. Well, I dropped out of school at 17, so I didn't go to university or get a degree. That makes three of us. Um, Can I ask what the reason behind that was? That interest? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I feel like there's a story there. Sounds we, incriminating we, we, now. I was going to say, yeah, off, that was three off the record. Yeah. Off the record. I robbed a bank. Um, um. I, so firstly, I don't think academics are really for me. I, I was working part time. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. My friends were older than me. And then I had a massive falling out with my friends okay. um, that I did have at school. And I just decided I wanted to get started. I didn't want to go to university and be surrounded by a petty playground gossip anymore. Fair enough. I mm. completely understand that. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can both relate. <laughs> Very relate to that, yeah. So you dropped out at 17, and then what? Uh, I did an internship at City Hall. So I worked for Boris Johnson at the time, he was mayor, uh, doing IT. So people would call and say the computer wasn't working and I would tell them to switch off and on again. <laughs> Good. I, I think mean, that is head of IT right there. So I, I can see that. Have I you watched the IT crowd? Yeah, of, co of okay, course. Okay, great. Of course, like <laughs> great. on repeat. Yeah, good. Just checking. We're on the same page. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I mean, that. I mean, that's. I have to ask about that. I mean, that's that's interesting. I mean, what was it like working for Forrest Johnson? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's gonna be such a funny idea. Yeah, I, I know, but we can't go well, too yeah. hard. So, like. <laughs> he did ask me to get into a swimming pool once. <laughs> did he actually? What, did he? Wow. Okay. Boris Johnson asked That's you. Interesting. Boris Johnson asked you to get into a swimming pool. No, well, he didn't ask me. He invited me, and it. I think it was all completely innocent. I was at his house doing some work. And he invited me into his swimming pool. It sounds, he, he, it sounds he, innocent. He, he was in his swimming trunks. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. As, as I say, it sounds innocent because, I mean, whenever whenever I'm talking to people, I'm yeah. in swimming trunks. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I'm like, do you want to pop in? Yeah, do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> the meeting would go far better if we were both in our undergarments <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we were both wet in a pool. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. my God. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay, so you did a, a brief stint with, with Boris Johnson then. That's it is interesting. <laughs> no, not yeah. in that way. Not Just in to that clarify. Not in that way. Um, Aside from our aquatic endeavours, yeah. she was very professional. Uh, and then what were you doing after that? <laughs> like, where did that lead? Uh, I continued in IT, but I worked for a kind of solar company yeah. for a very brief period of time. I'd already set Bike Club up by that point. Um, so how old were you when you set Bike Club up then? Oh God, like 20, 20 21, okay. maybe. More 20, 20. Yeah. And what was the sort of the inception of it? Uh, so I set it up with my oh god um I, I set it up with my boyfriend at the time turned husband and now we're getting divorced okay okay right. um so uh yeah that was a bit of a whirlwind um we we, we were both really keen cyclists um and so it does actually stem from a like a love of cycling um but then also he's one of those people that really wants to set up their own business yeah. um i'm sure you've met some of them um yeah so he was always kind of thinking of ideas and the initial idea was adult bikes where uh, a bit like me i had started off on a kind of cheapo road bike i was cycling 50 kilometers a day Whoa. um well commuting so quite a lot yeah and um and then he kind of got me into road cycling and upgrading my bike and my bikes just kept getting more expensive. And that's kind of the journey that a true cyclist takes. So that was the initial idea to be able to enable adults to do that, but subscribe into bikes instead. Mm. And then we we landed on kids bikes because actually they have they have an inherent need. Mm. There's there's much more demand for sure. kids' bikes that, yeah. that kind of swap and change the whole time. No, that makes sense. Um, so what was the, what was the process then of actually sort of setting up that initial business, um, targeting adults? I'm curious to know how you actually go about starting starting that. Yeah, so we never started it. Okay. Um, it that was just the, the kind of thought process that we went right, across and how right. we ended up on and then an you kind idea. of pivoted before you launched into basically kids. pivoted right, right, before right, we yeah. even did anything okay so what i'm curious about is getting getting the actual kind of practicality set up how does it go i mean do you just sort of have to then buy 10 bikes up front and then just wait and then build a website or did you, you know was there any development required I mean, that's basically what we did mm. um so yeah we bought 10 kids bikes exactly that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, in different sizes because you kind of needed to bulk buy to get um, mm. a, a contract with, with suppliers anyway. Uh, so we bought um, a load of 10, kept them in our two-bed flat in Ballum. Um, then I set up a website while sat on my parents' sofa and put it out to the world 
and we got some oh uh, and also some like facebook ads and sure. uh, like google ads to get some traffic incoming and our first order was from scotland okay wow interesting and so when you first get the 10 bikes i'm guessing you're buying them new yes very new and then how did you did you already have like a network of like engineers i mean obviously you said you were a keen cyclist and you're in that community did you mm-hmm. have like a network of people that you were like okay i've got a system if something breaks and is that a thing where if something breaks it's their responsibility how does that work in terms of like liability um no it's it, like we whilst if so if if something breaks we're responsible for it right like if it's a manufacturing fault for example that hardly ever happens um if it kind of i don't know if the chain comes off whilst they're cycling well that's just that's normal maintenance yeah that's that's kind of on them and then because the bikes come back to us every on average kind of every 12 to 15 months then we like we refurbish it we it goes through a full service and that kind of keeps it very very up to date um at the start no we did not have mechanics that was me and him every evening every morning uh putting together bikes because they don't come built either you kind of have to put them all together and do a pre-delivery inspection yeah and right at the beginning we were doing that um even though we're not trained mechanics right so how did you get your first your first customers essentially i mean you mentioned obviously you you build a website you were doing you were doing google ads and sort of seo and sort of paper paper click and facebook ads but outside of that i mean this is the kind of thing i would have thought um we had uh hewitt van bockelon mm-hmm. um fan of tenzing who was talking quite heavily about actually attracting a community and building in that community and being part of that i assume this seems like a logical place to start with that with that sort of industry because it's so it's so kind of as those pertinent to, to cyclists yeah right so you go after your early adopters right yeah. and our early adopters were very active outdoor families mm. who were probably cycling anyway like mostly cycling anyway and they understood the proposition but they also got the they got the sustainability element of it and that's what i think motivated them to do it because it made sense to them like mm. they completely understood what we were trying to achieve mm. and that kind of kept us going for quite a while and we were able to really target that sort of person through facebook ads yeah it right. that landscape has changed a little bit now thanks gdpr um but at the time we were able to uh, even say this is the shops that we think they they are shopping in and yeah. we want to target them and we want to target people who have children between the ages of x and x yeah. and facebook knows everything about yeah, yeah. you i remember that time and golden age i know amazing yeah. right yeah. it was really good and uh, yeah that that was it for a, a long time and then we kind of broaden out from that segment yeah um as you grow as you kind of get more of them word of mouth kicks in and then your whole like customer base looks a little bit different um but continually doing kind of segment analysis over who our customer is and who it might be in in like a year's time i'm with you go ahead i was gonna say um with the cycling community i'm just curious obviously you've been a part of it for a long time what would you say is the kind of if you on a you know shot in the dark guess of what percentage of the cycling community is 
very big on sustainability and that kind of thing because that's probably quite a big factor i'd imagine but i don't know how much of it is people doing it for health and the kind of experience of it and how much of it is people being like you know trying to go green or financially actually Obviously. yeah all that yeah. um right so i i think when you say like cycling community Mm. Uh, there's probably like different sections of the cycling community. So you've got your mammals. You're talking to two people that don't cycle. Yeah, by the way. We okay. Like you can clicks, see that in my clicks. eyes, right? I'm yeah, like, exactly. what extent? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. So have you heard of a mammal like... before? A mammal, middle-aged man in lycra. No, no, but I, I, I've seen them in the wild. <laughs> you've seen them. Exactly. I've seen them in the wild. I've hated the them in the wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very sexist because I am. I, I also cycle in Lycra, but whatever. I'm not middle aged and I'm not a man, but so whatever. That is like then? a term. You don't. There is no term. Yeah, okay. There is no term. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just right. But yeah, so like you've got your mammals, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then your face. <laughs> I just find this so funny. There's yeah. infighting. Like your first point was like, I want to go to uni. There was too much cliqueiness and too many like you know things. It's like okay, we got the mammals, we got the birds and the bee. Like it's great. It's it's like um, uh, the film Mean Girls, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm getting that. I'm getting that kind of vibe at the moment. The mammals yeah, yeah. don't associate exactly. with the sharks. Yeah. And, then, yeah. Yeah. and then you've got your in- independent bike shops. Okay. So like a lot of your bike shops on the high street will be independent bike shops. They're generally run by in like enthusiast cyclists yeah um and that's another thing that we realized that we offer offered to parents is that walking into one of those shops and saying you want a kid's bike can be quite uncomfortable a bit like walking into this room and having loads of cameras pointing at you sure yeah um but it can be a bit uncomfortable because uh, you don't have someone like us to make you feel really comfortable before the episode which we're doing really yeah i'm i'm sweating yeah 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 yeah, sure um so yeah but like basically we realized that um we were able to offer this space that parents felt comfortable coming to to ask for advice for their kids Mm. like size in how do i get them started and because your local bike shop won't like their focus is not kids bikes the focus is adult bikes and that's yeah. what they know really really well that's what the money is i'm guessing like when, a, a pro, a pro yeah level. yeah yeah um but but then and that's where we were kind of able to come in and say actually we don't just offer a bike there's a whole level of service that we mm. offer as well there's a massive space in family cycling that was just completely underserved and i i think a lot of people have asked like what made you successful what made bike club successful and i think a lot of it is right place right time good team and i, I say right time but we we're possibly a bit early because what makes you think you're early well because subscriptions and circular economy have kind of really come about over the past few years mm. back in 2016 no one knew what the circular economy was and subscriptions were a thing, but everyone was still very cautious about signing yeah. up to things online. We um, offered direct debits only because <clears throat> there was a trust element that was our way of gaining trust from the consumer because they have a lot more control over a direct debit than a subscription. And right. so that's what makes me th- say that we were possibly a little bit early. And th- the only thing with being early is that if you're if you're early, there's a lot of almost education that you need to do Mm. around like consumer habits and 
you have to spend a lot more, I guess, on trying to convert people and trying to convince them that this is something that they should do and this is the future. Um, but at the same time, I, I think it was the right time. On that point of being early then, I mean, how did you do, how did you go about getting a proof of concept on, on product market fit um, when you actually didn't have anybody else in that in that space doing something comparably to what you were looking to do? Listen to the customer. Okay. Yeah, like, oh, we call them members, but yeah, listen to feedback. And we were constantly changing things. So initially people signed up, um, it was a contract, so they'd sign up for a minimum, per minimum period of time, which saying that now is kind of silly because you don't know when a child's going to grow. Mm. And the whole point of what we were trying to do was to enable you to have a bike for your child mm. that's the right size at any stage. And so we quickly scrapped that because we realized, one, we didn't really need it. That was a safety mechanism for us. Um, but we we worked around that. Um, but also it was kind of off-putting for the customer. Um, but yeah, there's loads of small things like that, the, the small changes to our offering that, that we made along the way. And so was it a case of in the beginning when you bought the first 10, was that like just you and your, you know, then boyfriend at the time, just basically having the bikes and storing them in your house? Yeah. And then as you scaled, I'm guessing, do you now have, you know, warehouses and things like that? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit sort of to the scaling process? Sure. So we, we used our flat as storage for too long. <laughs> you could hardly walk in right. <laughs> it was that yeah. bad right. <laughs> they were stacked high yeah. and then we um a friend wasn't using their garage and we basically rented their garage from them for a period of time that worked okay that was a very cold winter though and i was refurbishing a lot of bikes <laughs> at the right. time yeah, right. <laughs> uh, out in the snow um then we used a big yellow, so a storage yeah. unit, and then in like light industrial units, um, short leases, and then kind of upgraded as as we kind of went along. Now I think we've got three or four sites throughout London. Wow! Um, How many bikes do you buy every month? Oh, I don't know. Do you have a rough idea? No, uh, no. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she was going to guess and then thought, yeah. no, actually, no, That's, I don't. don't. a lot of bikes. Um, how do you know when you're ready to buy a bike? I'm curious because you've got, you say the lifetime of, of that bike is 12 to 18 months typically for the child to, to mm -hmm. be using it before they grow out of it. Do you need to have a certain number of children to then request a bike of that sort of size for you to think, okay, maybe we can then buy that bike or buy a number of those bikes? Or how do you assess when you're when you're ready to actually buy them because it's quite a large upfront cost for what is obviously quite a small monthly then subscription off the back of it if if we need to grow we need to grow so we need to buy more bikes it was always someone someone orders we buy a bike um so we at the beginning we had fairly long lead times now we're able to forecast our growth um and buy x number of months in advance based on our forecast so when was the um, when were you ready to hire your sort of first employee? Again, too late. <laughs> <laughs> as as everyone says when they come on, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, okay. It's quite I'm, common. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um yeah. So I quit my job in kind of March twenty seventeen. 
um, went full time and then hired member of staff September that year. Okay. So it was a few months of me doing it solo. What was the first role that you hired for? An operations executive, which means do absolutely anything yeah. and yeah, everything. And he was great. He was out there in the snow refurbishing bikes with me. He came to work in our flats, which right. was very odd. Yeah. But very startup-y yeah for exactly yeah, very, very startup-y <laughs> and then we had an intern that christmas as well who then came on full-time after christmas um i'm curious to know how you how you knew you were ready to go full-time in the business at that point what was the turning point so we kind of set we set ourselves this number okay. of bikes that we'd have and then one of us would quit our job and go all in and we kind of surpassed that number quite quickly, too quickly. And neither of us was quite ready. <clears throat> and we were still able to juggle everything. And so we continued for a couple of months and then it just became like really clear that if we're going to do this, which we're going to at this point because we've invested too yeah. much money into yeah, it, someone's got to quit their job. And so, yeah, I quit and went all in. I'm curious to know about in terms of like the initial startup capital was it just like you had the idea for 10 bikes and you had sort of just saved up for that were there other things you need to kind of accommodate for uh so my husband had or boyfriend at the time uh, had just got some money from a family relative that had died so he had a bit of inheritance and right. he used that money uh remortgaged the flat Oh wow! Took out credit cards, loans, wow. literally everything we could get our hands on, um, on a kind of personal basis, and then <clears throat> we took inspiration from Brewdog, and we offered bicycle bonds to friends and family and to our members at the time, and they, yeah, so they invested some money which was which some of them converted later on yeah and then we raised our seed round so we launched 2016 and we raised our seed round late 2018 early 2019 it sounds like you raised well you at least put up quite a lot of money to start with how did you allocate it whatever we need to spend money on <laughs> okay there wasn't bikes, really a, there, was, there wasn't really a, they sell <laughs> bikes yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> it's got lots of bikes yeah. okay that's it um was it was was there a business plan in place at all at oh point? yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah so um there was actually there was kind of almost a third co-founder and so my husband and him worked on the business plan together uh, they're both trained accountants, trained at KPMG, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, they built out a model and played around with it a lot and made sure it all kind of made sense on paper. Yeah, because I was curious about how you go about pricing something like that in terms of like making it cost effective compared to the the price of the bikes themselves. Yeah, so at the beginning we kind of we just we put a. It is, you get you have to guess like a lot right you just have to make loads of assumptions so mm. we assumed how long a bike would last us we assumed how much delivery would be mm. we assumed how much it would cost us to refurbish it um uh, we assumed how long it would live for and how long components would live for and that all changes 
but luckily our assumptions were pretty modest actually mm. um what do you say has been the hardest moment so far <laughs> where do you begin <laughs> the sounds of that yeah. so in the early days it was really lonely when i was doing it by myself before bringing on a member of staff it was just so lonely and i wish i had I wish I'd either hired someone earlier. Actually, no. I wish I'd gone into a co-working space earlier because then you meet other founders. You actually kind of get into that network. I came from a very back, different background to my co-founder. Uh, he was privately educated. He had friends whose parents ran businesses, were entrepreneurs, and he had a network. I came from southeast london went to local grammar school and my dad is a policeman and my mum uh works for the local council so i had in terms of that kind of founder entrepreneur network in london i had nothing and it was just very lonely mm. um now there's a lot of communities out there i really encourage people to try and join networks or join join a co-working space um the early days the lonely days and then i think the problems just change so you then get to a point where you're no longer lonely because you've got a team of people doing stuff for you and it's fantastic but they're all your employees and no one gets what yeah. you're going through as a founder no one understands the the level that of capital the level of like time energy emotion that you put into what you do and then you bring on investors and they're a different breed of people altogether and you're kind of just trying to juggle everything and keep going and people think that you love what you do and I do I like I I, I loved it um but there are still those Sunday nights where I just dreaded going in and I didn't want to go into the office I couldn't do it anymore I'd have panic attacks on the tube like and then I'd go in and I'd lead a team full of people mm. and I had no clue what I was doing I was like 21 right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. um yeah so it's 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 difficult I'm did curious you, to, oh go on well, I was gonna say did you um going back to what you were saying about like your upbringing especially compared to your co-founder what was that like when you did step in rooms with the investors like you said you know you mentioned they're a very particular type of people usually did you feel like that was a sort of quite an individual experience and from your perspective what was that like from your background did you feel like they sort of treated you any differently i'd like to think they didn't treat me differently because of my background i'd like to think by that point by that point that we were raising investment i'd kind of proven myself mm. i think i felt the most different to them because i was female i was the only female in the in the like in the boardroom for example and especially when i had kids i did feel very different to them they were also they were all accountants <laughs> and sometimes i felt that the conversation 
was completely useless and we could have done with a little bit yeah. more strategy as opposed to talking about depreciation rates mm. and there's quite a lot of like lingo that's thrown around that i just oh god if you go back through my notebooks now there's so many like acronyms that i've scribbled down like what is this <laughs> <laughs> and then like go home and google it late at night and uh, yeah. i'm up until 4am just googling all the stuff yeah, that yeah, i didn't yeah. know and uh, i i also think it's kind of important to talk about that because i if you don't if you don't admit that you didn't know everything and then other people just feel really bad about the fact mm. or they feel i don't know really stupid they don't know what everyone else is talking about yeah. um and so i've i've kind of i've changed now and i will just openly say sorry i really don't get what you what you mean can you mm. explain it because i think it's okay to not know everything especially when you've yeah, already definitely. built a successful business because it's more even more of a case of like i mean it should be okay i agree it should be normalized at any level to just ask questions and be like oh i don't know what that is but i think yeah a lot of people do have that fear of i don't want to look stupid especially against investors and they're going to think I'm no, that's that. true but I think what's interesting actually with what we've been doing is that a lot of the people that we've sat down with have said the same thing of you figure it out as you go along. Hmm. I you actually know, am sweating by the way. <laughs> that's, a, that's, okay. that's a TGF exclusive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people have said the same thing. You know, you kind of figure it out as you go and you just try to trust your gut and you don't really know what you're doing from day one. You just you just go with it and you just pick it up and you learn. You know, so I think it is. I think I think it is normal, but it should be it should be normalized and spoken about more definitely. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Furniture Box. Furniture Box is an online furniture retailer that makes awesome products for everywhere from your bedroom to your office. Now we actually had Monty and Dan, the co-founders, on our show. That's how we met. We loved their story and we hung out with them afterwards and we knew that we wanted to work with them. And here's the thing. One of the biggest issues I have whenever I've ordered furniture in the past is that certain big name furniture companies, not naming any names, will charge you a fairly large fee for delivery. And even then that delivery usually takes a few days, if not longer. With Furniture Box, not only do they offer free next day delivery, but they're now planning on extending their delivery cutoff even more so that you can literally order a dining set as late as 8 p.m. and be eating dinner on it the next day. So to put it simply there's no one in the uk furniture scene that's doing anything like what they're doing and we're thrilled to have them as our sponsor so click the link in the show notes and check them out now back to the episode how did you get through your toughest moments it sounds like you've had some some real low points what kept you going i had nothing to lose and a lot to lose um i'd given up my career and I felt that if I wasn't successful in the business, then that would be my career. Like, uh, like, how would I explain that to a future employer when I try to get another job? So I think I had to succeed in what I was doing and I just kept going. Hmm. I also had quite a lot going on personally my family went through quite a tough time and it was an escape for me it was escapism to mm. throw myself into work just take your mind off other stuff almost yeah. I'm, I'm curious because um uh we've, we've interviewed a lot of different people with a lot of different founder setups like people who have started businesses on their own you know with friends with family even with partners um but you're the first person we've interviewed that's going through the situation that you're going through with where you've you had a relationship with a co-founder that relationship is now changing the sort of status of what kind of relationship that is um 
are you able to speak a little bit to that and what that experience is like? Because there's probably people that are going through a similar thing. You don't have to go into detail, but I think starting a business with a romantic partner and then that mm-hmm. romantic relationship changing into a different kind of relationship, I think it's quite a, probably more common than people think. Yeah, I think it's quite natural. And I, I speak to quite a lot of kind of husband and wife teams and a lot of companies that we, I don't know, buy from, we don't realize they're actually a husband and wife team. Uh, I think it's natural because if you're both passionate about something and if you're both quite different individuals, then you will have different things to bring to the table. And we definitely had that. We we, we definitely didn't kind of step on each other's toes, especially at the beginning. Um, we knew where his skill set lied and where my skill set lied and they were very different things. Um so it makes sense it's it's natural to kind of go on that on that path for us in particular we met when i was 19 and then kind of quickly started the business and i think there possibly wasn't enough of a foundation in our relationship before we started the business Mm. and so actually kind of when you take the business away there's there's no there's not much of a personal relationship there anymore because we were completely consumed by the business and then also co-founder conflict is very common sure and i speak to people even if they're not going into business with their other half or with a family member i do warn them that you're going to have some co-founder conflict and it's people talk about co-founder divorces when just because going through that process of separating from your co-founder even when they're not your partner mm. it's is, a divorce in some respect is, yeah. a, is yeah. a divorce yeah. like there's so many uh, you know legal complexities to separating from a co-founder um like there are legal complexities mm. when you're divorcing someone and so it is quite common for co-founders to split up and so i i yeah i I think i think there's that element it's so difficult when you're Mm. when everything is kind of breaking around you and you're going through this roller coaster of emotions daily to not have conflict with that co-founder given the fact that it then intertwines two worlds because obviously if you have an issue with the business you can't necessarily you don't necessarily get as much space from your from your partner because you're in both worlds together if you could go back would you still recommend people start a business with their romantic partner yeah because you can work all the hours you never get a yeah. date you never get a holiday <laughs> yeah yeah that's a healthy reason oh <laughs> uh, i but but you can work all the hours and you can yeah you can speak with your co-founder 24 7 uh it's not healthy it's not healthy but i mm-hmm. think it's good for business um to to an extent to a point um i i did set a rule one or i tried setting a rule that we were not to talk about work whilst i was in bed Mm. yeah <laughs> no, it didn't last <laughs> okay Fine. i just yeah. needed my space yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you say there's no escape yeah mm. and sometimes i just needed 
I just needed some space. And yeah, when course, you go into sure. bed, you don't want to be thinking about work because yeah, then you'll yeah, be up all night. Yeah, and, yeah. No, that's natural. Hey, it never, never actually worked that. Do you think? <laughs> do you think? Just the last thing on that. Do you think yeah. it's important with whether it's with friends or with a partner or anything? Do you think it's important to have allocated time? Let's say. I mean, so uh, Skeet and I, we we had um we had a, an evening out like about a month ago and we, we went you know, we went to a nice little place and celebrated you know the couple things and at the beginning i had a couple of things i wanted to run through and i and i said oh i've got this thing by the way i think we should do that and he was like yeah and he was like, actually let's not talk about business tonight let's just make it a night as friends and just hanging out do you think it's important to allocate set time whether it's with your partner or your friend or whatever if they are a co-founder and they are also a personal relationship yeah i actually heard um i can't remember which vc it is but i heard that someone who got investment recently has been made to go, well, co-founders, they're not a couple, but they've been made to go for couples counselling every week. Wow. There's no problem, but it is, it, it is purely to make sure that they have really good communication mm. and that they have that time set aside with a third party to kind of go through any problems that might arise in the future. And I do think that's a really good idea in a way. I think another problem for us is that as the business grew and our roles became quite separated, we weren't really overlapping much. We didn't really understand what each other was going through because we were kind of going home and talking about stuff. We never sat down and had a one-to-one regularly. Mm. We never did that professionally. And I think... I think that kind of almost added to the conflict because we didn't really know what each other was going through. Um, And I think that's important. If you were to say to your manager that you haven't spoken to your direct report for four months on a one-to-one basis, they'd Mm. be like, what on earth are you doing? Like, (laughs) go and set aside time, take them for lunch or something. Like, that's Mm, not right. And... Maybe because you're co-founders or because the, you're a married couple that just kind of gets forgotten sometimes. I think it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on the on the co-founder point, how what, what advice would you give to somebody who actually needs to go out and seek a co-founder for, for their business? I mean, you mentioned earlier that your relationship um, with your then boyfriend potentially wasn't fortified enough when you started the business. A lot of policers now are actually trying to say that you need to go out and you need to find a tech founder or co-founder, for example, to look after the back end of the business. Otherwise, we would struggle to invest in your company. But that relationship almost right off the bat is quite manufactured and forced. Mm -hmm. So how would you go about actually going and finding a co-founder that that both suits your skill set, but also suits your your business? Just different types of relationships, right? Because if you're going out there and you're seeking a co-founder, that's a completely professional relationship. And it's people do that every day in 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 the job they're kind of put to work with someone because that person has certain skill sets and that person has certain skill sets and so you come together and you work and you work it out i think that's fine do you think it needs to go deeper than that from the from the get-go no i i i think you both need to know what you're trying to achieve you've both got to have like the similar vision and you've got to clearly define what each other's roles are and where you might cross over and who has the final say. And I think if you've got kind of got those points ironed out, then it's not necessarily if like, I'm guessing you guys were friends before you started Mm. the podcast, right? Um, 
yeah, I I think it's possible as a kind of professional relationship. Any advice as to where people can go to find co-founders? Anything you'd recommend? Um, ah, no, sorry. That's fair enough. No, fair enough. Yeah, (laughs) haven't clue. Better no than no. Haven't tried it. Tinder that worked for me. (laughs) 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 I love that. Good. Um, I wanted to touch on something completely different as well. So Forbes thirty under thirty obviously an accolade that you you have of, amongst many to your name mm-hmm. how did that come about what we don't pay process? for it by the way okay that is a common misconception yeah we do not pay yeah okay <laughs> i have heard that i have heard that it was good to clarify that yeah. <laughs> so guys they pay yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. reading between yeah. the lines yeah. yeah we know we don't pay <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh it is um it someone nominates you and our chairman nominated me, um, Mike Balfour. He started Fitness First. Um, okay. it, he he nominated me, and and does he have is he on, on the, the Forbes Thirty and Thirty himself? No, or no, he's not on the list. So, oh, so there's a list of people who are allowed to nominate. No, no, anyone can nominate anyone. Oh, okay. But I think because of who he is, like it adds oh, credence. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe maybe it was just me. Maybe I am actually. Just worthy of Forbes 30 th- under 30 so how did that relationship come about then uh oh good question um he was an angel investor okay and uh our kind of first lead investor and then came on as chairman it was a cold email but um he had trained as an accountant as a teenager with my co-founder's dad and so he kind of dropped that into the first line Okay. You might remember Peter Symes, you trained together, etc. And maybe that made him open the email. Apparently, it, that meant nothing. Okay. Apparently, it was more just the fact that... So, Fitness First, you they rent or they kind of put assets into a room and rent them out to you, mm-hmm. is essentially what they do. And we put assets put them into your home yeah. rent them out so he understood the business model right right, right, right yeah. and then there was also the kind of club element of subscriptions that he felt he really knew from yeah. his club days and so it just felt felt like a natural business for him to get involved in oh, um, um so so yeah he um he he came on as an angel investor we had a really we have a really good relationship with him uh, he was a great kind of mentor to have around. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Have there been any specific gems that he's dropped that you sort of have stuck out to you? Um, figure out what the problem is before you start trying to fix it. Like, um, actually get to the root of a problem. Because I think a lot of the time people are like, oh no, I've got this problem. I'm going to go and really fix it. But actually, that's kind of superficial. You kind of need to go down a few layers. Mm. Uh, he's actually got this is twenty rules of business that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Right. A diligent <laughs> student. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Can you talk to going into pitches, sort of what the experience has been for you going into pitches and what kind of advice you give to people when it comes to raising funding? I think it's quite a daunting process for a lot of people. Yeah, and I will be completely honest, I didn't do much of the pitching. Um, I'm an uneducated female, uh, young female from southeast London, and I... You did not suit those investor conversations really so my co-founder did it he's a privately educated male accountant who knows exactly what he's talking about 
Um, so I'd come in for the kind of second meetings or third meetings. Do you have any investors. regrets about not going into this? Um, not really, because I was focused on the business. I was focused on the operations, the the team, uh, the customer service, the product that we were building. And fundraising is a full-time job. And that was basically his job, was fundraising and having all those conversations. And I would not have wanted to do that job at the time. I really enjoyed my job. Mm. And I, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't regret it. Have you all. played more part of the funding since? I have. I think, I think it's really difficult for like a solo founder to fundraise because for us, it was clear. He does the fundraising, I'm working on the business and they are both two very, very big jobs. Um, if you've got one person trying to do it all, mm. I feel so sorry for them because it must just be so incredibly difficult to do that. And I think the process itself of raising capital can get easier. There's got to be a better way for businesses to do it on like both ends of the spectrum, investment firms and startups. There's got to be a better way. Um, and there's there's a few. So there's a platform that tries to match VCs and startups. Maybe that's the future um there's obviously like cedars and crowdcube where you can actually go yeah. out to the crowd mm. um there's a few things popping up in that space um mm. not totally sure that we've completely cracked it yet yeah sure because i can see you're now on the other side of it you're investing in business yourself uh yes well i'm doing a stint at a, a consumer vc slash growth firm um so they invest in um consumer focused businesses um fantastic brands mm. uh that you will have known about um and yeah so i'm kind of on the other side of the table mm. because for me it was such a daunting such a daunting prospect and i did feel in some conversations that i was not welcome and i did not feel at home or at ease a bit like this joking <laughs> Um, that's three jokes people are going to think you're serious <laughs> um yeah and and so i was i i guess i think the best way to learn is by seeing it from someone else's perspective and now i look at a lot of pitch decks and speak to a lot of founders mm. and i'm yeah just kind of getting exposure to that side of things when you say you didn't feel welcome in a lot of situations what what do you mean by that exactly can you can you elaborate a little bit i don't think i fitted the idea of what a founder should be hmm. what did they think the idea of a founder should be uh, well i risk getting a bit sexist here but i i think I think they expected me to be male and it, there is actually there there is research that shows that the conversations that an investor will ask a man is very different to the 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 questions that they'll ask a woman so they'll ask a they'll ask a male about vision growth the future they will ask a female about the problems and so naturally interesting the female is talking about all the problems and the male is talking about 
where I it's going to go. And the space, yeah, Elon Musk type thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's there's research that shows that, and I think coming across pieces of research like that makes me feel a little bit more like it it wasn't all just in my head mm. and that it is actually a thing i think we have a lot of this is not just investors versus founders this is as a society we have a lot of biases that we maybe will come over uh, overcome at some point but i don't think we will in my lifetime i was about to, i was about that was gonna be my next question are you an optimist or a pessimist on that I'm an optimistic pessimist. <laughs> so yes, but just on a longer time horizon kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Can you give any specific advice to females who are looking to raise money at the moment? Uh, know your numbers, which is advice I will give any founder. Be confident. And just know your business inside out. Um, but also I think women can be a little bit more shy or unease or at unease with the accomplishments so realize what you've done and how incredible what you've built is because if you don't realize that no one else is going to realize it for you mm -hmm. and i think that is quite important i think men sorry um can have quite big egos uh compared to women and then if a woman is confident they're i don't know they're deemed to be too confident so it's it's difficult to get the yeah to find the right level of confidence yeah it's i think it's it's such an interesting topic of conversation i'm actually i'm actually curious to get your opinion because it is quite a big topic of discussion at the moment as i'm sure you're aware the idea of you know people are looking to make more of a conscious effort to hire women in certain positions and certain roles and industries and things like that um and obviously you you know when you consume mainstream media you see two sides of the coin you see one side of people going you know we need to make more of an effort to include women in these spaces because they have historically been left out of them and then you hear the other side of the coin of people saying well i'm not getting these advantages as a man when i'm going into the room i'm just i've just worked hard got the grades got the degree and i'm turning up to an interview why are they getting a handicap and there's sort of two arguments that are always made i'm curious to know what you think about that whole side of it yeah i i, I think that people should be given a little bit more not hand holding because that's kind of demeaning but a little bit more support if they are a m minority that doesn't fit within the current kind of status quo i think they should be given more support um i find the kind of women only events and spaces quite difficult i've always kind of worked in a male dominated industry and i also just feel that sometimes having those female only spaces don't help because you have to deal with men in kind of everyday life so you can't just surround yourself by women i think you have to have a good mix and It can be yeah it, it it can kind of it can be difficult if you're if you're only having conversations with with women about anything 
and then you kind of have to go off and speak to a man they'll expect you to kind of act in a different way mm. you've kind of got to work out how you work together as opposed to each in silo how do you think just kind of going on that point how do you think your ego has changed over the course of running the business because i meant i kind of noticed earlier when ollie mentioned your many accolades you felt a bit uncomfortable hearing about it and then on the flip side to that you mentioned that when you go into race race funding you need to have the ability to have that confidence and, and sort of back yourself and promote it so i'm curious to know how you think your ego has changed i have a lot of insecurities as do um, we all i just don't think it gets talked about enough um Yeah, I, I, I think I don't really know how I got to where I am, which sounds very strange, but um, yeah, I, I guess I kind of, I, I almost feel like I'm in a dream sometimes. I'm not actually in real life because I just stuck my head down for a few years and I really did stick my head into kids bikes for quite a while and I I I I I don't know I I don't know I don't know who I am why I'm here how I got here half the time and I if I think about it too much then I get quite confused at life generally um so I tend to just stick to what I'm good at I I think I realize what I'm good at and hone in on that a little bit more and I do also have this kind of with the public speaking that I do and not right now for some reason it hasn't turned on today um but I do have this switch that I kind of almost turn on where where I can just go up and do public speaking I if you knew me as a teenager, you would not believe that I'd be up on stages talking to crowds of 200 people plus. Really? Like, I was the shyest, most awkward teenager. And it doesn't make sense for me to be doing what I'm doing. Um, but then I have also heard that some of the best public speakers, that they are really shy. And I, I do, like, I, I switch there's a switch that goes inside me and then my body relaxes and I can do it. And I think, and maybe that's a piece of advice for people going into investment meetings. You've got to find your switch. Because mm. like, I think we do all have a switch where we can turn it off and on again. Um, adrenaline seems to be mine. So I realize I was an hour late here, which is totally not correct. But um, I... <laughs> they build, wouldn't have known that building <laughs> Building adrenaline into my life seems to help with yeah. like turning on off and on that switch yeah um i yeah. think you've got a really interesting quality that i haven't um you don't see very often or you do but not as often as maybe you should which is that i've noticed that for a lot of this interview whenever we've asked you a sort of maybe a bit of a deeper question or a more thought-provoking question you take a you take your time to answer I've noticed that. and i think that's a really really telling quality it's a really admirable quality because i think especially in the age of or in the sector of entrepreneurialism there is a lot of posturing and there is a lot of ego and there is a lot of kind of like going to those meetings you know the need to feel like you've got all the answers and so you can ask someone a question they go well you know i think it's sort of a thing where you know there's a lot of like stalling just to kind of make it seem like you've got it together but i like the fact that you've been you've quite deeply considered everything that we've asked today i think that's quite like a, a cool quality well i kind of have to i when i when i was a teenager 
I had a terrible stutter and I had hypnotherapy for my stutter and sometimes it will come back and I don't think people around me notice I notice and so I have to think about what I'm saying so maybe it's not actually that I think about my words it's just that if I didn't think about my words I'd be uh, 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 uh. you had hypnotherapy for a stutter and it worked hypnotherapy yeah hypnotherapy I I don't remember I I had a few sessions and then she kind of created the CD that I I took home and I'd listened to it when I fell asleep or before um before a big day or if I was particularly nervous I'd listen to it and fall asleep I still don't know what the end of the CD is about because I'd always fall asleep Mm. at a certain point in it Mm. um I now don't know where that CD is, so I don't have that to fall back on, which I kind of wish I did have sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I <laughs> but I've built other, other mechanisms into my life. Mm. Well, you haven't started today. Uh, and it's been an amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed um, it. Right really before enjoyed. we end, uh, we have a question that we ask everyone at the end of every interview, which is basically, obviously, we're a practical podcast. We focus on the actionable. If you could give one piece of actionable, practical advice for someone who's looking to start a business or has already started one, uh, what would you say? talk to someone about it because people don't I think people have these ideas and they think that if I talk about my idea someone's going to nick my idea no one's going to nick your idea and if they do then they should have done it anyway (laughs) if you don't talk about your idea then you don't get feedback and feedback is so crucial to kind of padding out that idea um you might find a co-founder, you might find an advisor, you might find someone that is just like, oh, I'll do this for you and help you out with this. Um, you might also just realize it's a really terrible idea and you shouldn't be doing it. But um, yeah, I think actually just talking about your idea is the very first step you can do into actually getting anywhere with it. Amazing. It's a good piece of advice. Alex Rico Lloyd, thank you so much for being here. Really, really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. It's been a really good conversation. I don't conversation. know what you're worried about. I, I don't feel like it's been reciprocated yeah. on that side of the mic. So- I need a massage. I'm so tense. <laughs> Guys, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember to subscribe, turn on post notifications so you don't miss any more episodes. We've got lots of great interviews coming up. Uh, and if you're on streaming platforms, then please do rate uh, five stars and leave a review. But for now, Alex, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>